In case we haven't met, I'm John. I'm one of the pastors here. And we're glad that you are with us today, whether you're with us in Waukesha or maybe you're hanging out in Pewaukee. We've got people watching on Facebook, our online campus, and YouTube. So wherever you're joining us from today, welcome. Just really glad that you are here with us. This afternoon, I want to start out with a, with a rhetorical question. And the question is this. Wouldn't it be great to get and have everything that you wanted in life? I know we're taught from a young age to not be selfish, but let's think about this for a second. If we could have absolutely everything we wanted, if we could fulfill every selfish desire, that would kind of be good on one level. It's this concept that I want what I want and I want it now, and then we receive it. Just imagine what it would be like to find yourself in a situation like this guy. All of us know what it's like to be selfish and to have selfish desires. And, and many of us, we spend countless hours of our lives chasing the things that we think will, will satisfy us. Now, chances are none of us have ever found ourselves stuck in a safe, but maybe we found ourselves, maybe we know what it's like to be stuck on a treadmill chasing more stuff with the belief that if we have more stuff, we'll be satisfied. We, we, we think that if we get the right things, eventually we're going to be satisfied. And, and you know, no matter what we get, no matter what we achieve, it seems we never find that sense of satisfaction that we're looking for. No matter what we achieve, we end up with this feeling that there's got to be more. Well, there is more. But the more that we're looking for, it's not found in things, in possessions, in, in promotions, and in the things we stuff, we, the things we pursue. The thing, the more that we're designed and experienced, it's found in one thing. And that one thing is actually a person, and it's found in Jesus. And Jesus came to teach us and to show us what it means to have an abundant life and to have the more that we're designed to have. So the name of the series in, we're in right now, it's called More. And, and this first week, the first week of the series, we talked about having more life, living life to the full, having that abundant life. Last week, Ben talked about having more joy in, in our lives. And so today, we're gonna talk about this thing called love. Is there anything we want more in life than more love? Is there anything we all need more than love. And I was thinking about that this week, and it made me realize that I've been blessed with some amazing relationships. I have a family who loves me. I have friends who care about me. I have coworkers that I genuinely enjoy on most days. <laughs> but with all of that, though, at times it still feels like I have this need for more love, and it feels so great sometimes that I have that emptiness. I have this emptiness inside. It's that feeling that there has to be more. Do you ever, do you ever feel yourself, you ever find your way, yourself feeling that way? The, the teachings of Jesus, though, they reveal his wisdom and his plan for us to live a life of more. And his teachings, the teachings of Jesus can seem counterintuitive to us because Jesus has an understanding of life that goes far beyond our own. If we were able to ask Jesus and we said, hey, Jesus, what does it look like to have a life of more love? You know what he'd say? Actually, this is what he did say. He said this. He said, my, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. In answer to the question, how can I experience more love? Jesus said, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. 
Now take, a, take a look at those words because those words are straight from Jesus. They're from his heart to ours. And, and doesn't it seem a little counterintuitive? Because for me, it, it does. As I think about this, if I were gonna design a way for myself to experiencing more love in my life, what I would do is I would just make a list of all of the people that love me and then I would just expect them to start loving me more. Right? Isn't that the way that we think it works? If the people in my life, if the people in your life, if they would just start loving you more, then we would have the more love that we want and we would have the more love that we need. But, but that's not what Jesus says. And Jesus says the exact opposite. He says, love each other as I have loved you. And so today, we're going to spend some time looking at this verse. As a matter of fact, most of our time, we're going to be taking a look at this one verse. But what I want to do is I want to take a look at this verse, but I want to start at the end of the verse, and I want to finish at the beginning of the verse. And to help us with that, first we need to understand what Jesus said, as, what he meant when he said, as I have loved you. And to understand this, we need to understand Jesus. We, we need to understand that his heart, his mind, his passion, we need to understand his very nature. And Jesus is God. And at his very nature, at his very core, he is communal. And what Jesus is showing us is we best demonstrate love when we're connected to others. And, and that leads us to a God who is a God who exists in, in community. Many of us know this, and so this is going to sound really familiar, but if you're new, God is a relational being. He exists, he's one being, but he exists in three expressions or three persons. There's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now, this can be hard for our minds to wrap around because this is not an easy concept to understand. It's been called a mystery, and this mystery is known as the Trinity. And each person in the Trinity is distinct, and yet they're also intertwined. They're intertwined, which means they are inseparable, and they have this selfless relationship. They just orbit around each other. Not one of them is selfish. Not one of them says, hey, I'm in charge, and you're my support staff. None of them says, I'm first. Instead, each person of the Trinity loves, adores, defers to, and rejoices in one another. And that's why the Apostle John, now John is the disciple who knew Jesus the best, he described God this way. He said, God is love. Three words. He said, God is love. And it's important to understand what John did not say. He did not say that God is loving. He did not say that God likes to love. And both of those are true statements. But what John said, God is love. God is a relational being whose very nature is love. And love looks for an object of affection. And that's a fancy way to say that love looks for someone to love. And so that object of affection, what is it? In the beginning, God created mankind. He created us in his image so that we could be loved and we could enter into this communal relationship with him and with each other. But here's the hard truth. Here's what we did. E even though we're created in his image, we didn't choose to follow his way of selfless devotion. I instead, we turned our back on him. We decided to seek our own will, our own satisfaction, and our selfishness betrayed God's love for us, and that broke our relationship with him, and that broke our relationship with each other. A and so after we did that, what did God do? Did he just wash his hands of us and turn his back and walk away and say, hey, figure it out. 
No, that's not what he did. He came after us. He came after us in the person of Jesus to show us what true love looks like. In the Gospel of Luke, in the very beginning, you know, you hear the angel of the Lord says, Behold, today I have good news for you. A Savior is born in the city of David, and he will be a Savior to all of you. Even though Jesus was God, even though all the glory, all the honor, and all the worship of heaven was his, he willingly chose to leave, to be born a human being. He humbled himself, even to the point of being tortured, even to the point of dying a horrible death on the cross. Jesus joyfully and willingly laid down his life to bring us good. And what's beyond my comprehension is he did this while we were still sinners. In other words, while we were his enemies, while we were at war with him, he still pursued us. As we chased our own selfish desires and we turned our back on God, we pursued our own will. And yet through his death on his cross, Jesus demonstrated that nothing, even our rebellion, even us turning our back on him, nothing could keep him from loving us. Jesus himself said, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Have you ever considered how significant it is that Jesus calls us friends? In the ancient world, friendships, just like today, friendships were very important, but they operated on a number of different levels. There, there were political friendships, and these were formed for strategic reasons. So some people would be known as a friend of Caesar, and then there were friendships, they were called patronage friendships. And that's when a wealthy person would come along some, someone that didn't have a lot and then would become their benefactor. And then there were mutual friendships. And these were friendships among equals where there was a sharing of confidences, where there was a sharing of possessions, where there was a sharing of love, and where you just did life together. And so when Jesus calls us friends, he's using that term. We are his mutual friends. And so the bottom line is that a life of more love begins with the understanding that, that we are unconditionally, we are lavishly, we are completely, we are eternally loved. And Jesus joyfully and willingly laid down his life to bring us good. Here's how Pastor Timothy Keller, he summarized this idea. He said, you are more sinful than you could dare imagine and you are more loved and accepted than you could ever dare hope. That means when you walk out of here today, right now, you have to know, you have to understand that you are loved. And all of that, everything I just said right there, that's what Jesus is getting at in this verse when he says, as I have loved you. That's how he loves us. When he did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves, when he took the punishment that should have been our punishment, when he took that initiative, that's how he showed love. And because we're loved, we can be free. We can be free from trying to impress others because in Jesus, we find acceptance. We can be free from trying to gain from others because in Jesus, we're fulfilled. We, we can be free from trying to dominate others because in Jesus, we have peace. And that's the point he's making here. And I love the way author John Stott put it. He said, no one who has been to the cross and seen God's immeasurable and unmerited love displayed there can go back to a life of selfishness. 
Now, most of us, consciously or unconsciously, we believe the way to experience a life of more love is for the people in our lives to simply start loving us more. I'm guessing that's what most of us believe, but Jesus is teaching the opposite. And and again, it's counterintuitive because it's not the way we think. Jesus says the the way that you and I, the way we're going to find more love is when we love each other just as we've been loved. And it really is true. We receive more when we give more. We find more when we release more. We experience more when we surrender more. And this is why I think Jesus' teaching is so counterintuitive. The way to a life of more love isn't having the people in our lives just love us more. No, the way to find a life more is to joyfully and willingly lay down our lives to bring others good. It's counterintuitive, but that's how it works. And I think in our heart of hearts, I, I think we know that's the way it ought to work. Now, there's a lot of great people that we've seen in our lives that demonstrate, us, that demonstrate this type of love. But there's a man that many of us grew up watching on TV, or maybe your brothers or sister did. Anybody ever used to watch Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood? Anybody familiar with that? Yeah, good. Mr. Rogers is a story of joyfully and willingly laying down his life over and over again to bring children good. He was an ordained minister. He he was defined by his Christian faith. And, And the message he taught every day on that TV program was shaped by what he believed. And it's been said that every day before he walked into the studio, he prayed this simple prayer. Dear God, let some word that is heard be yours. And here's just a little example of what would happen each day. Yeah, that documentary came out in 2018. It is well worth the watch. But did you catch it, what he said? When he said this, he said, the greatest thing that we can do is to help somebody know that they're loved and capable of loving. The greatest thing that we can do is to help somebody know that they're loved and capable of loving. And Jesus came and he laid down his life so that you and I would know that we're loved and that we're capable of loving. Love each other as I have loved you. And when we know we're loved, then we're free to live that way, to joyfully and willingly lay down our lives to bring others good. And what might it look like if you and I did this in our lives? A life of more love lies in the answer to that question. And when I look at my own life, I realize that I'm a work in progress. Many of you know me and you know that's true. I can't just flip a switch and start loving like that. Following Jesus is the best way to live, but it is not the easiest way to live. You know what the easiest way to live is? It's to be selfish. It's for me to always put my needs, my wants, desires first and foremost and always, and for you to do the same. Learning to live a life of more love, it's a product of a heart committed to following Jesus. In fact, we have one part left in our verse, and that's the very first part. And Jesus said, my command is this. Learning to live a life of more love requires a daily decision to follow the way of life that Jesus lived. Following Jesus is the best way to live, but it's not an easy way of life. That's why we should never try to go it alone. Uh, Of course, as followers of Jesus, we're never alone. Jesus, through his spirit, 
is with us. When, when Jesus lived on earth, he made his dwelling among us, right? He demonstrated that the life he calls us to live is something that's meant to be lived in the community of his followers. He had his disciples. He had his followers. And today, that community is called the church. And, and here at River Glen, the idea that life is meant to be lived together, that's with other Christ followers, that's something that we call connect. And connect is all about the relationships that we have with one another in the church. It's where we can form a real link with others. Because I think a lot of us, most of us would admit, well, we're looking for life. What we're pursuing is it's something real. It's something of significance. And it's something that'll stand the test of time. And, and at River Glen, we believe a Jesus-centered, grace-filled, spirit-led, mission-focused, biblical community is that real link. It's an eternal community where we can experience more love as we joyfully and willingly lay down our lives for each other. And we believe that the most likely way that you can experience that is being connected in a group. And groups are gatherings of people who are trying to learn Jesus' way of life. They're com committed to moving from selfishness to love and doing it together. And do we always get it right? Of course not, no. But, but the move from selfishness to love, it, it requires a place to work it out. A group is intended to be a place where people learn to joyfully and willingly lay down their lives for one another. And, and the best way this fall to get connected to that kind of group is to explore either rooted or alpha. Both of these are options, they're on-ramps, they're gateways to that real link. And, and so I have two challenges for you. And the first challenge is, if you're not in a group, Get connected. Rooted and Alpha, they're part of our group strategy to get everybody plugged in and connected into community. This week I had a couple friends come in to sit down and talk about the power of their group and the power of how they've impacted and how they've been impacted. Let's, let's take a look at the screen. Yeah, thank you, Ben and Marnie. Marnie is recovering well. Um, she begins tennis lessons next week. Um, <laughs> but uh, pray for her because she needs to heal first. Uh, but Rooted and Alpha, they are these great first, they're great first, and they're great next steps. It's easy to sign up. You can go to the Group Life webpage. You can Group Life on our webpage, and you can sign up there. If you're in Waukesha or Pewaukee, there's Connect cards in the seat back in front of you. Just fill it out. Say, hey, I want to learn more about Rooted, or I want to get plugged into Alpha. Drop it off on your way out. At the Connect Walls right out here in, in, in Pewaukee, there's people that will sign you up. They'll answer any questions. They're here today. So sign up. Take that next step. And if you're already in a group, here's the second challenge. And that challenge is simply bring, bring the good. A, a life of more love. It, it, it follows Jesus' command and, and it allows us to joyfully and willingly lay down our lives for others. So Think of the people in your group. How could you bring them good this week? Many groups, and this is confession time, many groups take the summer off, and my group, we were meeting, we were Zooming, and then summer came, and they started meeting in person, and I decided that I was going to take the summer off, and I did. And uh, summer ended, I think, last week or two weeks ago, so I promised the guys in my group, I will be back this week. So if your group take, took off, start, start up, start meeting, start doing good together, and, and get together. It's like Ben said, you know, encourage one another, serve one another, do all the one another's together as a group. Another thing you can do, invite 
people to join your group. Sometimes the easiest way to get someone to join a group is that simple invitation. And you can do that, you know. Figure out ways, you know, maybe you can send a text to someone in your group, or maybe the whole group. Maybe you find a verse this week, and you send them, send them that verse. Or maybe there's someone in your group that you're praying for. Let them know specifically how you're praying for them. Or or maybe someone in your your group, maybe they're facing a real need, and you can meet that need. You You might have someone in your group, they just need someone to go out, sit down, have a cup of coffee with them, because they need a good listener. And when we do all of those kinds of things, there's a million different ways that we can bring the good. But when we do those things, then we're bringing the good. And that's how we all start getting and feeling and living that more love that we all crave. So if you're already in a group, just let's ask God this week, how can I joyfully and willingly lay down my life to bring the, the, the members of my group good this week? And then let's bring the good. Jesus came to bring us a life of more, more life, more joy, more love. All we long for, everything that we've ever pursued can be found in him. And and just imagine what your life would be like, what my life would be like, the impact we would have others if we would just fully take hold of the way that he taught us to live. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. In a minute, we're gonna take communion together. And if you haven't grabbed communion, right at the back tables, you can go get that. But Jesus invites us into this eternal community. In fact, he desires all of us to experience it with him so much. He desires it so much that he willingly laid down his life to bring the good so that we could be with him. And it's one thing, if Jesus would have said to us, he would have said, hey, go get your act together and then come and you'll be acceptable to me. But that's not what he did. Instead, he did it while we were still sinners. Paul reminds us, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's this radical, inclusive, sacrificial love that invites us into this eternal community. And today, we celebrate what Jesus has done and what he's doing in our lives in this time of communion. We we take the bread, And that bread represents his body that's been broken for us. And we drink the cup, and the cup represents his blood being poured out for us. And at River Glen, our communion is open to anybody who's a follower of Jesus. And so I'm gonna pray, and then let's take communion together. God, thank you so much for today and an opportunity to come to a place that you call your eternal church, a place where we can be known and and where we can know, a place where we can be loved and and where we can love. And God, but take us, take us from where we live this, this, this life of less and lead us into a life of more. God, may the things we chase after, may the things we pursue, may we trade all of those in for the things that you would desire for us. God, we're living in less, and we want to live in more, and we can do that by the power of your Son. You sent him to us. He pursued us, and and here we are. We're gathered in his name. In this time of communion, Lord, we give you so much thanks for everything that we've done, that you've done for us. We reflect upon that and just draw us closer to you so we can draw closer to others. God, may we just take this, and may we leave here and bring the good. I praise you, and I thank you, and I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.